Hey guys, good morning. Uh, we are in a brand new series called Insta Family, and I just want to welcome you. I'm excited to be able to bring the word today. The, the reason we called it Insta Family is because you know those families I'm talking about, those families that just look so picture perfect. You see them coming to church and everybody looks like they woke up on time. They're here early. You see those families on social media. And again, they just look so perfect. Board game night. Everybody looks like they're having a great time and getting along. Date night. Looks like they're still in love. And, and you see that. And then maybe you're looking around your living room right now going, what is wrong with us? Because we've got a little crazy in our family. Maybe you're mouthing the name of a certain family member right now. Uncle Joe, he's the crazy in our family. You know, we all have, uh, we all have that, that chaos, that craziness in our family. I, I love what Pastor Jim said last week. He said, and I quote, Social media is a highlight reel, but it ain't real. Now that's good right there. Social media is a highlight reel, but it ain't real. That is good preaching, but it's bad English. And frankly, I'm a little surprised. He is a doctor, okay? I'm just, I'm, don't tell him I said that. Um, we all have... We all have some flaws. We all have some imperfections in our family. Some of us are just a little bit better at hiding it than others, that we're better at hiding the chaos. And so the tagline that we're using for this series is from chaos to Christ. How do we live and navigate our family in every stage of life in a way that would be God honoring, in a way that would be what God wants, God's best for our family. Today, I want to talk specifically to the singles. I want to talk to the singles. Now, I got to be honest with you. As I began to do some research, I really was shocked to find out just how, how big this group is. From Ever since the 1960s, singleness has been on the rise. And here in 2020, singleness is at an all-time high. In 2017, the U.S. Census Bureau reported that 110 million Americans over the age of 18 were single. That means that roughly 45% of the adult American population fits into this category. Hear me, guys. We need a message like this in the church. It's, it's a needed message. I believe God's going to speak today uh, to you. But I want to talk to the married folk real quick, okay? Married folk, listen to me. Your turn's coming next week, all right? So if your spouse is not watching with you, if your spouse is not around today, I want you to encourage them, come next week, be with me, sit with me, watch with me, because we're gonna speak directly to you next week. I also wanna say to you married people, don't tune me out right now. Don't tune me out because you know single people. 45% of the population is single. I'm just believing that God is causing, God's bringing this message to you so that you can bring it to someone else and so that you can bring hope, so that you can bring Christ into their situation. And so 
So don't tune me out. The last thing I want to say is, is I did some research and I found that one of the greatest causes of tension between married people and single people, uh, single people said it was because of the stress that they feel from their married family members and friends. Hear me, guys. You may not even realize you are doing it, but you could be causing stress to your single loved ones, your single family and friends by asking questions like this. So who are you dating? Because see, what happens is when you ask a question like that, either the response is gonna be, well, I'm still dating so-and-so, and then you know what your follow-up question is gonna be. Well, now you guys have been dating a while. When are you gonna get serious? When is he gonna propose? What's gonna happen next? Pressure, pressure. And, and then if the answer, it, uh, your single friend gives you the answer, well, you know, I'm not really dating anyone right now. I'm really focusing on work or I'm really concentrating on school. Or, then the answer becomes something like this. Oh, nobody, still, huh? And, and all of that causes pressure. So married people, stop it. Single people, uh, the thing I want you to understand is you cannot live your life by that pressure. You can't allow the expectations of others to dictate what you do. The, the reason why you can't do that is because the pressure never stops. Maybe you're thinking, well, as soon as we get married, the pressure will stop. It won't. As soon as you announce, we're engaged, we're getting married. Here's what's coming next. Well, when are you going to get married? And where are you going to get married? And who's going to be in the bridal party? And who's going to be the maid of honor? And who's the best man? And, and all of that and pressure. And then once you get married, what's the question then? When are you guys going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? And then you have one kid. When are you going to have more kids? And so the pressure never stops. Again, married people, you got to stop. Single people, you, you can't allow your lives to be dictated by that pressure because a couple different things could happen. Uh, the first thing is you might begin to get desperate and, and you're like, oh man, I'm just, I feel this weight. I feel this pressure. I feel this expectation. I'm just going to kind of settle. I'm going to, you know what, this isn't how I saw it going down, but don't get desperate. Uh, another thing that could happen is you could get depressed. It's like, oh man, well, this just isn't working out the way I thought it was going to. Or, or finally, uh, at some point you just say, you know what? I'm just gonna disconnect from those people. Hear me guys, none of those are good options. And, and so we've got to allow ourselves not to be pressured, not to fall under the weight of other people's expectation for our lives. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to take a few minutes uh, with our time together today. And, and I wanna talk to you on the subject of three things I wish I could say to every single person. Three things I wish I could say to every single person. And, and the reason why I wish I could say them is because I, scripture teaches them. Now scripture teaches us a lot, but three things that I wanna draw your attention to today that, that I believe God wants to speak to you right there where you are as you're watching this. Let's just jump right into it. Number one, singleness is a gift. Singleness is a gift. Can I tell you, I know how that sounds coming from a married guy. I, I know, but it's not coming from me. It's coming from the apostle Paul. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 7, he says this, I wish that all of you were as I am. Well, how, how was Paul? He was single. He was single. As a matter of fact, go ahead and bookmark chapter 7 because this whole chapter is about singleness and marriage. It's, it's God's kind of uh, instructions as you're considering what's next and what should my future look like. And, and so Paul lays it all out right there in chapter 7. But Paul begins by saying, I wish that all of you were as I Am. He was single. Now here he is, one of the greatest missionaries, probably the greatest missionary to ever live. And, and he is single. God used him in amazing ways. Why would he want all of us to be as he is? Because he's in pretty good company. Uh, John the Baptist, Jesus, just to name a few, they were all single. He says, I wish that all of you were as I am. And then he goes on, but each of you has your own gift. There's our word. Each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift. Another has that. Paul says singleness is a gift. Now that word gift in the Greek is the word charisma. It's the word charisma. It means uh, a gratuity or an endowment. Like God's just giving you a little something extra. He just wants to bless you. He's giving you a little something extra. Think about this. If you, if it was Christmas morning, you know there's going to be some presents under the tree. You run downstairs. There is a box. Ah, there's a box with your name on it. It's beautiful. It's wrapped. Everybody's there. You dig into that box. You're just tearing it all to shreds, jumping in there, and you pull it out. Singleness. <laughs> Oh boy, that's the gift. I, I gotta tell you, my nephew, he's absolutely hilarious. He has the best reaction to gifts. It's one of my favorite things, Christmas, his birthday, to watch him open gifts. It happened about two years ago. He's eight years old now. About two years ago, he was just confused and frustrated. It's Christmas morning, he's opening things and, and it's not what he wanted. <laughs> He's like, and again, he's not being a, a little twerp or anything. He just, it's not, I made a list. I was very specific. Where did you go wrong? You know, and he, he is voicing the frustrations with what's happening. And his parents did what you've seen all parents do in that situation. They took him over to the corner and they gave him an attitude adjustment. You will be grateful. <laughs> You will not embarrass us. You will be grateful. And so he came back and ever since then, his reactions have been priceless. He pulls something up. He's like, wow, I love it. My favorite one was this past Christmas. He pulls it up. He's like, I've been wanting some of these. It was pajamas. I'm like, you're a liar. <laughs> Maybe as you think about the gift of singleness, you're like, I am gonna have to have an attitude adjustment because I am not feeling that gift. Well, in the very next verse, Paul goes on to say this. He kind of doubles down on that idea. He says, now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good. It's good. 
It's not just a gift, but it's a good gift. It is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. It's good. I know we can't read all of chapter seven today, but let me just highlight a few things to you. In that chapter, and again, read it after today's message, but but in that chapter, Paul essentially says, uh, if you're married, stay married, all right? Marriage is not bad. If you're married, stay married. He says, if you're single, but you burn with passion, if you burn with passion, who knows what Paul's talking about? I got to tell you, in 2010, I met my bride. I met Nicole, and I know exactly what I love that girl. He says, if you burn with passion, it's not wrong for you to marry. So if you're married, stay married. If you're single, but you burn with passion, get married, because marriage is not bad. It's not wrong. But then he goes on to say, but if you're single and you don't burn with passion, then stay single. Why? Why would, why would Paul tell us that? Because Paul understood, and he goes on later in the chapter to say, when you are single, your uh, attention is undivided. You are singularly focused on God. But when you get married, your attention is divided. You want to please God, but you also want to please your spouse. And Paul knew that God has given each and every one of us, if you call yourself a Christ follower, then you are on mission. You have a divine assignment from heaven. It's called the Great Commission. It is to spread the gospel. It's to tell people of the hope and love of Jesus. Why? Why is that such a big deal? Because all of eternity swings on these tiny hinges called, what did you do with Jesus? A, a person's entire eternity depends on what they do with Jesus. If, if you know Christ is your savior, if you're walking with him, if you have a relationship with him, heaven is your home one day. Abundant life is yours here on earth. It's incredible and it is a free gift. But church, can I tell you something? Hell is real too. And real people go there. And Paul says, if you are single and you don't burn with passion, stay single. Because the gospel, the gospel is at stake. Get that word out. People need to hear. Again, he says singleness is a gift. The second thing I would say to every single person who's watching is that compromising is never a good idea. Compromising is never a good idea. I just want to tell you, I cannot preach this message today like I want to preach this message. Because I know that, that Bridge Kids isn't happening. I know that there are a lot of little people in living rooms all over Wayne and Johnston and Duplin and Sampson County. I know there are a lot of innocent ears and I thought, God, how can I talk about this? And, and here's what I believe God showed me. If you're compromising, you know it. If you're compromising, you know it because you feel that sting of guilt. What is that? That is the Holy Spirit working in your life, wooing you back to the Father. That is God saying, no, 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 no. Don't settle for that. Don't settle for that compromise. I've got better in mind for you.
One of the ways we often compromise is what we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Uh, maybe your translation says, do not be unequally yoked. What was Paul talking about? As he, get, as he gives that instruction uh, to, those, to the church in Corinth, every single one of them would immediately have had a clear picture of what he meant in their mind. They were an agricultural society. They knew exactly what that meant. Well, a lot of us don't. And so I wanted to show you uh, what a yoke is. Now, I don't think that this is a yoke uh, for oxen, but, but this is a yoke. It gives you some idea uh, of what was happening here. What you would do is uh, you would take uh, two oxen and you would put one on either side and, and you, would, you would bind them in. You would clip them in. You would, you would get them situated. And, and the goal was that those two oxen would work together as a team, that there would be a synergy and that the two as a team would be able to accomplish more than one of them would ever be able to accomplish. And so you could plow a field or do the work you needed to do, but it's because they were walking together in unison. They're equally yoked. So Paul says, <clears throat> Don't be unequally yoked. That, that means you would not put an ox together with a donkey. They, they have different gates. They have different strides. They have different physical makeups. They're just not the same. And so there would always be, there would always be this stress and this strife. They, they would not work well together as a team. You wouldn't put an ox together with a horse. Again, there would be all this stress and strain. And, and, and so... Paul says, whenever you're unequally, whenever you're unequally yoked, it leads to problems. It leads to concerns. There's, there's strife. Hear me. So what does that mean in our world today? That means that we're not going to be in a relationship with, we're definitely not going to marry someone who doesn't, is not compatible with us at a fundamental level. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a disciple of Jesus and your boyfriend or your fiance is not, you're different on a very fundamental level. And so that is being unequally yoked. Here's what that also means. That means we're not gonna go missionary dating. You know what that is, don't you? That's where you look around the church, you look around uh, the, the body of faith and you say, uh, I don't really see anybody here I'm interested in. So you go out into the world, you find an unbeliever, and you say, she's cute. Oh, he has abs. What's so good about abs? I don't, anyway. <clears throat> you, you go and you say, well, if I can win them to Jesus, then they'll still be pretty and they'll love Jesus and then it'll work. Hear me, hear me, hear me. It won't work. And I know you are drawn to the exception. It's where it worked. My great aunt, she happened for her. You're not the exception. I, I don't mean to say that in a negative way, but, but don't be unequally yoked. That, that's often a source of compromise for us. Uh, 
Here's another source of compromise uh, is when we pursue relationships that have warning signs all over them. God has given you discernment to be able to see red flags, to be able to see problems in that relationship. And instead of running from that, instead of getting out of that relationship, your thought becomes, well, you know what? I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep plowing through and maybe eventually they'll change. You know, if we stay together long enough, they'll become the man or the woman I want them to be. It does not work. Look at what Proverbs 22.3 tells us. It says, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. In other words, the prudent... The wise person, they see the red flags. They see the warning signs and they're like, man, I, I'm gonna move. I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna take refuge. I'm not gonna stay on this path. But scripture goes on to say that the foolish person keeps going. They see the red flags. They see the warning signs. They keep going. And what does it say? They pay the penalty. They pay the penalty. Maybe you're watching me right now and you would say, Pastor Andrew, I hear you. Singleness is a gift, but it doesn't feel like one. I hear you. It it feels like a curse, though. It feels like God's forgotten me. It it really does. It feels like he's forsaken me, like I'm just, like I'm forgotten. Maybe you're watching right now and you would say, Pastor Andrew, I've already compromised. I've already fallen short. I've already messed up. that guilt you're talking about, it's me. I feel it. I'm, I'm eating up with it. Then point number three is going to be very, very important for you. The last thing I want to say to every single person is that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Isn't that amazing? You know, we've sung, we sang that song since we were kids. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And, and we know it and we, we've heard it, but yet somewhere along the way, uh, Satan tricks us into thinking, well, I've gone too far, I've messed up. Hear me, guys. Jesus loves you. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19 says this. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Look at this next part, underline it. But with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus loves you. You know what I'm picturing this morning? A a blood-stained cross screams, you're not forgotten. I care about you. You are a son or daughter of God. A blood-stained cross says, don't compromise because I've got better for you. God gave his very best so that you could experience abundant life and we settle for so much less. But a blood-stained cross reminds us right now that Jesus loves us. 
Maybe you would say, Pastor Andrew, I, that, that door, that attorney, you talk, uh, the hinges, I don't know that I have those in place. I, I don't know that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I wanna help you take that first step this morning. It's a journey. We're, you're gonna need to walk it out daily. We can help you with that. But here's all you need to do. You need to pray. Pray this, right there where you are. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I'm done running. I'm done uh, trying to make my own way. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins and I pray that you would save me. Lord, help me walk out this decision every day of my life. Pray it on Jesus' name.